0: Well, and I think that's why a lot of us like uh, have gravitated to you is, is your commitment to wanting to learn, but also your commitment to actively being social online. And and, it, and what it is, is, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of dealerships that aren't actually social in their social efforts.
1: Oh, you know? <laughs> that's why I love the direct part of the way you have conversations. Because forgive the frankness, but you don't take a lot of bullshit as, as I can <laughs> Perceive it from the
0: outside looking in. For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closer's Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closer's Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca Wow, that's because I'm passionate, just get excited.
1: I love your stuff, meaning the the videos that you put out, and just watching, and and, uh, you're exactly what I hoped this would be like, just a conversation, and I love the authentic part of that. I'm so new to automotive, meaning just over the last year, maybe a few more months than that, that I've worked with my brother, and I'm always surprised when people want to invite me on to talk about automotive or the things that uh, they do and and because I this is how I learn yeah really the interactions that help me get better because I'm I'm pretty well versed at business just not the automotive side and I love the learning part of that
0: well and I think that's why a lot of us like uh, have gravitated to you is, is your commitment to wanting to learn but also your commitment to actively being social online and, and, it, and what it is, is, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of dealerships that aren't actually social
1: in their social efforts. Oh, you know? <laughs> That's why I love the direct part of the way you have conversations. Because, forgive the frankness, but you don't take a lot of bullshit as, as I can <laughs> perceive it from the outside looking in.
0: Yeah, I've been kind of known to... Um use choice words and get a little passionate about certain things
1: and so I wasn't necessarily on the racing side I was on the competitive show horse side but it's the same thing similar yeah and as much as the horse needs to be focused the the competitor needs to be the same thing you know I I the analogies are just you could just go all over the map and one for me is I have a longer story about a situation where the gentleman that I happened to work with at the time, we lost the keys to our tack room. We couldn't get to our tack, and so we improvised, and we had a really good day in the show arena, and the next day, there were 20 other trainers who used our improvisation technique. They thought it was a training method (laughs) <laughs> it was, we'd locked our keys out of the tack, or we'd lost the keys to the tack group. So he, the, the, the man again, that I was working with at the time, he turned to me and he said, what did you learn? And I'm like, they think because we had such a good day yesterday, this is now a new thing to do. Yeah. They, they, you know, you, it's preparation. So in the sales aspect in cars, Either a dealership teaches a certain way, a process that they want the sales process to run, and the salespeople are expected to, within their own limits, use that process. And at another store, that process would never work.
0: percent.
1: these trainers messed up their horses for a couple of days at least. In the dealership where the, the process not of that making would try it, it would screw up you know, they wouldn't sell any cars for three or four days. And it would take somebody else going, oh, we should go back. <laughs> we should that. No.
0: There are so many things you can learn from. And, and I think what it really kind of comes down to is what helps people in the automotive space. And how, how long have you been in the automotive space? Let's start there.
1: So I actively started uh, assisting my brother in uh, May or June of 2017. Okay, cool. And there's a little backstory to that. Um, it, it's sort of a sad circumstance in my life, but nobody gets out alive. And my wife had passed away from cancer in December of 2016. Oh, sorry to hear that. So, thank you. It, it's a, she was the cornerstone of my life. But as, uh, you know, the forgive my sense of humor, but... No, no, it's okay. Um, she went to heaven and left me here. And so however long I'm going to be here, uh, the Lord has this plan, you know, he'd really like to see me productive. And I was in the horse business for 20 years. And then I had a 20 year career in synthetic grass, fake turf. And when I tried to go back to work, oh, about a month after her passing, it just, I wasn't healing, what have you. And so I, the company I worked for had been so great to me, and my wife through that season. Um, I just to honor their commitment to me. I, I had a conversation with the owner and um, just said to him, you know, I this is a class A company and very high performing individuals. Imagine the analogy in the car business would be imagine a, a store where everybody's a thirty car guy a month or a thirty right. 30- 30 car a month guy or, or woman. And, uh, I just honestly had to go say, look, I'm going to miss the mark. I'm going to, I was in workforce development. I was the customer facing employees reported me and my job was to make sure that they were the best in the industry and they were the best in the world. uh, So anyway, uh, as I sort of cast around for what I might do next, um, my brother and I had spoken about a project he'd been working on, and I did some uh, guidance, I guess. Uh, he's the he's the brain. Meaning he's he's been in automotive since 2001. He's been in technology since '95. Um, he held, his backstory is uh, the, the small dealer group that he joined outside of Omaha, Nebraska. He, he and a really sharp sales manager and a really visionary owner they took two stores one was a Ford brand and the other one was Dodge Chrysler I believe but they went from about 70 units a month to 1200 in about four wow. and a half years and so the Ford store competed with Galpin Ford out in California and you know so I look for excellence and uh, I had the privilege in the horse business to work with some of the best in the world. I had the privilege in the uh, turf industry to do some really innovative things. The company that I worked for in here in Cincinnati, I had subcontracted with them over uh, about, gosh, now it would have been 13 years. But from 05 to 2012, I then became an outside employee in 12 and I did that from 12 to 15 and then they invited me inside to do uh, workforce development thus our move here and what have you and so to say that those were excellent opportunities the uh the perspective is the 10,000 hour rule of being an expert yep so I don't I became known as a subject matter expert, but I was always learning. I didn't want somebody to say, oh, you're the expert at this. And I didn't want to say to other people, you should listen to me because I'm an expert. No, let's learn together. Sure. And and there were so many similarities when, as my brother and I talked more about where I might fit in or, or assist him. It just became pretty clear that I could help. Bring this project to fruition and be a small part of that. Because again, without his knowledge, experience, dedication, I was just going to be a, a. I wouldn't have been very helpful. Oh, just, so,
0: so I, think, I think it's cool. Look, you're, 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 you you uh, you you you've had a lot of experience. Yeah, I, that's your brother.
1: A, a long it, story, and I I a simple answer would have been I've uh, been in automotive about a year and a half. No, 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 but that's cool,
0: though, because that really kind of lines up one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of bring you on board. You know, a lot of people go, you know, Jason, uh, you brought a few people on that are pretty new to the industry when you could be bringing on others, but I actually think we learn more from fresh set of eyes.
1: You know, um,
0: I could have easily reached out to your brother and we probably would have had a great podcast and, um, you know, we would have really talked about, you know, got in depth and probably had some inside jokes about the industry and, (laughs) (laughs) but But I think what it is is that the value is hearing and what other people are seeing that haven't been so close. You know, when you get so close to a project or so close to an industry, you don't get to see things that are working or things that aren't working or things that can be improved on. So that's what I'm actually kind of curious to learn a little more about. You know, you spent this year and a half now diving into this automotive adventure for yourself. You know, what are some of the key takeaways that that you've started to realize or things you've
1: noticed? So I have a a perspective of I'm 62 years old. Um, I have uh, owned business. I have lost a business, a pretty significant uh, speed bump in the journey. Um, the, The main things are that the key thing in all of the aspects of business is, No matter what lane you're in, people always get stuck in the idea that if you're not with them in that lane, there's no way you could understand the challenges. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think that's flawed because of the aspect of human nature. It doesn't matter what business you're in. There are no bigger egos than a horse trainer.
0: (laughs) Except when you you get into automotive. (laughs) Automotive salespeople, I think, can be right up there.
1: but but right there's the that's the aspect um the way you set this up I agree completely because people when they would in the horse business again when people would come and either they'd want to buy a horse from me or they'd want to send a horse to me if they were beginners meaning never owned a horse before their child had never taken riding lessons what have you they'd always start out with you know we really don't know anything I said oh I'm so glad you're here because you get a chance with no bias to comment on what you see happening. And when you can get somebody to engage in that idea, I don't need to know what your business is. I just need you to be a talented observer and share with me what you see. Because those, whether you call them virgin eyes or unbiased, whatever the term is, they are the most valuable aspect to learning because not only are they unbiased, if they're the right individual, they're unafraid to share their opinion with you. Mm-hmm. And the risk there is we could really learn something that could <laughs> assist in our business if we're willing to listen.
0: No, no, 100%. And, and you know, that's why, um, you know, I, I like kind of our close niche group, I call on LinkedIn, and you know which group I'm talking about, right? And, and, and I think we're doing relatively a good job of that. I think we just kind of continue to expand on that. And in any way that I can help you Know you guys enhance your message and, and your content to help encourage others from learning. I think we can all collectively learn together. So, um, at the dealership on the automotive, what has been your experience? Maybe a couple examples of some stories that you have so far that you found very interesting about the automotive industry. The perception.
1: Uh, there, there's a there's a small and this is true again in any in the industry. But there's always this small group of detractors, and they want to tell people uh, you're doing this wrong. You know, every time I say that phrase, I see the the clip from the movie uh, uh, Mr. Mom. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> and, I remember that. <laughs> and the reality is, everybody comes from their own perspectives and experiences. It's unavoidable. You have yours. I have mine. The thing that I've been so fortunate in is to attract and be, be able to share the engagement of your invitation. Just like this, this is the next example of this thing, the willingness of people to share. Yes. Um, And the, the idea of I've never met a dumb GM or dealer principal. Now I haven't met everybody by any stretch of the imagination. But the idea that these people are dumb or stupid or ignorant or don't want to learn or make their business better, you know that, that part you just got to go, oh so that's that two percent out there that's always going to be negative or of course. What have you And then there's the, um, gosh, there's those, there's the individuals that just resonate. And, um, I, I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if you want to edit this out later or something, but there's a guy that I met at, at, he, he used to be at a store here in Cincinnati. Yep. His name's Dan Cummings. Okay. And... Uh, when I was a year ago, literally this time a year ago, I was trying to figure out, well, gosh, I'm right here in Cincinnati. There's all these automotive stores. How do I meet some of these people? What's the best way?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so the auto show was going on here in Cincinnati. And I thought, well, I'll just go down and introduce myself and see if anybody will talk to me. And the way I met Dan, he had some of his, uh, people were at the auto show. And uh, I handed one of my card and I said, do you think uh, if, I, if I called or reached out to him that he would call me back? And the guy goes, oh, Dan calls everybody back, no matter what. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. So, he again, he's a GM. And sure enough, he returned my call. He was the first one out of I don't know how many hundreds of calls. He called me back.
0: Wow, that's very cool.
1: Fine of how bad my approach was. <laughs> But uh, eventually then I got to meet with him and sit in his office. We never talked. uh, We talked briefly about the idea that I'd like to maybe be able to assist him with digital marketing and some of those kind of things. But 95% of an hour that he gave me was spent just talking about leadership. Sure. And he's such a powerful leader. I exchanged a book with him. Um, he's moved to a different store just recently in Milwaukee, but he was always so gracious with his time. He, he's a class act in every way, and the the idea of his willingness to spend that time with me, uh, meaning a complete novice, probably was never going to do any business with him, but he was so gracious about that. That sticks with me, and there's a, there's a small relationship that's grown and, you know, it's going to be hard to maintain it over the distance, but sure. that's an example of that's a leader because knowing he would do that for somebody that has no impact in his story. You can imagine what he wants to do for his people.
0: Well, and I think there's, I think there's a few of us that, that, that are out there that are like that. You know, I I've been um, you know, I've been graced with the ability to, you know, make a living you know, mm-hmm. an entire an entire livelihood just out of the automotive industry. And I'm at that point now in my career, you know, where I, I want to be able to pass any chunk of that that I possibly can, you know, on, on to others, you know, and it's, uh, so it sounds like, you know, I get along with Dan very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I think what it is is that a lot of us uh, salespeople and you, being a salesperson as, as well, right, mm-hmm. is that we have the intent to want to help and serve others. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of comes natural. If you're, if you're a real practitioner, if you're a real practitioner and you have a passion about sales, really behind that is you want to help those people. You have the intent to serve those individuals and their needs and their wants and so on. And then we, we get a little bit of a
1: high after,
0: out of that. I mean, honestly, I got more of a high out of the smiles and enjoyment that my customers just got from buying the car than I did out of my commission checks.
1: It has to be servant-led leadership. Uh, that, That heart for serving others, in my opinion, is the key to joy in life. Not happiness, but that true joy. And the thing, the place where, again, it became manifest in my own life was the first half of my horse career, I spent, chasing awards and I had some really good horses and talented stock and was able to achieve some of that I would trade every one of those awards for the feeling that I gained and learned how to gain when I could assist someone else to empower them to achieve those levels of success and that's what I hear and what you, you said, because we share that.
0: It's, it's fun. Like we have fun doing it. You know, we get a kick out of it. It's our, it's what gets us going and, you know, gets us high on our, that's our supply. We get high on our supply. That's our supply. exactly, um, exactly. So, so, so now you're taking this experience and you're helping the dealerships. And I want to learn a little bit more about how you're assisting dealerships in some of the way they develop out their culture and in some of their marketing. Hey, let's, Go in a little more detail about how you're helping out dealerships
1: right now. The the key that we offer again with my brother's experience is when he began his automotive career, he was hired to lead the technology development for this small group. And he has always maintained and he saw it through the success that they had. He's a relationship person. Mm-hmm. Technology, in our opinion, is a tool, it's not a solution. There's so many examples where either the dealer wants to or has adopted a set it and forget it mentality. They don't connect their marketing efforts to their sales efforts or it's done poorly. We all know about the path to the sale. Technology usually in the ways that it's used today actually interrupts the path to the sale rather than facilitates
0: it. It can can create these chunks, these little, uh, what I call them, uh, mountains and valleys in between the process to the next process, yeah,
1: 100%. Yeah, and whether whether it's a speed bump uh, or a mountain, either way, it's a distraction from the intent that the dealer has, ultimately their goal is to what? Sell more cars. Sure. But with the narrative around technology I, I just had this conversation this morning with another professional in the industry. I re, And he has, a, this individual has a significant background in technology. Um, he, he's, he worked for, or was hired by Microsoft when they started to go from enterprise to desktop.
0: Oh, you mean that little company? I think I've heard of them. Yeah,
1: yeah. They might, they might make it. <laughs> the, the jury's still out, but, um, his technique was to build relationships with his customers. And he landed a big sale and got chewed out by his sales manager because he asked questions instead of, I, I think the phrase that he used was his manager yelled at him and said, we're Microsoft. We tell people what to do. We don't ask them. And and remember, this is on the heels of him making one of the largest sales in the company's history at that time mm-hmm. in this new division and so he went home and he's thinking you know i'm not only going to be me i'm going to be more of me and had a really successful career in that and again I, that analogy to the car business related to technology everybody knows who brian benstock is i heard brian make one of the best comments on another podcast recently Um, he had two points. You know how many cars the average salesman sold in 1982? How many? His answer was 8 to 10. Now, I didn't fact check him, but he's Brian Benstock, so I'm going to take him at his (laughs) word. His point was, you know how many cars the average salesman sells today? 8 to 10. So in 40 years, almost 40 years, we haven't changed anything. All of the narratives around how to do this better, how to use technology, how to the average is still eight to ten. Now there's guys that are selling way more than that, but they're the outliers. And there's dealers that are selling way more than what that average would amount to, given whatever X number of salesmen. You got six salesmen, okay, you're selling forty eight to sixty cars. You got twenty salesmen, you can do the math. Yep. But his the, the thing that really struck me was the idea of all these different salespeople focusing on building their brand. And Mm -hmm. and I'm not knocking it, I'm just offering a a guy who's well-respected in the industry. Here's his opinion. He said, we've made our salesmen busier, but no better. And that's a paraphrase. No, 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 no. that's very true. We don't even know that they really know how to sell a car and we're also adding them. The idea, by the way, you should also build your own personal brand.
0: Well, the thing is, is that you you can't just it's just same thing as developing and training you know a horse. It's it's yep. you know I, yeah, that's what we're gonna we're gonna call ourselves people horses. So we're gonna almost use that analogy. Um, <laughs> but 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 there's some truth to it, right? You have to create a routine. All right, you have to define, you know, what you're actually trying to do or why you're actually trying to do it. You know, right. what it is is what you end up getting is you're getting uh, people out there that they're calling it branding, they're calling it social media, but they're just saying crap for the sake of saying it. There, there's not a lot of intent or value behind what they're actually saying. So, you know, I, I think it's 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 a it's a they need to sales salespeople need to be branding themselves, but they under, understand that branding is. Providing content that others find valuable, not our self-serving for yourself. Do you know
1: what I mean? Dead on, hundred <laughs> percent. It's and and the aspect of when I, at the same time that I looked at the idea of being able to assist my brother. By the way, his his name's John. I should just say John instead of my brother all the time. There we go. I'm not, you know, he's. I keep telling him, look, be the wizard behind the curtain. I mean. <laughs> You have these amazing gifts and talents, and, and you become so uh, valuable with those two dealers. Just stay behind the curtain. That's <laughs> kind of a sibling rivalry thing. But the, the key to content that I've learned, and, and I'm still very, even though I've put some stuff out there on LinkedIn, I'm learning every day about sure. Most importantly, maybe what not to do. I've done a little no. bit of video. Um, I, I literally record it in my backyard. I do one take. I have no editing software, what have you. I just speak from the heart. It's one of those, as you and I started, take it or leave it. This is me, and I'm going to talk about personal experience and, and leadership and, and stories that people can relate to. And in, in lots of the times, they, I, I've gotten really good feedback.
0: But that, 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 can, that can be authentic. So that's authentic. What, what a lot of people seem to think when they're thinking of branding, that their content has to do with the, the company that they represent. Like all their content has to be about Nissan or all their company content has to be about Mazda or whatever it is. No, you, you have to develop out an audience based on who you are as an individual. You know, I have a, um, a gentleman up north. who works at a Chevy dealership. All right. He is a retired... Professional angler? Am I using the right word? Angler, fisherman, right? Yes. Awesome. Is that right word? Right? Okay, good. Great. <laughs> right, right. That is.
1: <laughs> I'm going to tag onto that, but go ahead.
0: But that's that's what his entire background is, right? I mean, he wasn't. He's only been in the car business for the last 18 months, but so that's where his passion is. That's where he is now. He makes a living out of by selling cars, mm-hmm. but his passion is is sitting on a bass boat and just finding those sweet spots. You know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> So
0: I go, we start talking to each other, and I'm like, he's like, what kind of content? I just don't feel like I got enough of a voice in automotive to have an automotive content voice. I'm like, don't, don't, <laughs> right? Because, because you don't, and that's totally fine, right? You know, it's like where your content's gonna come from your leadership experience, this gentleman's content is going to be coming from his experience and history of being a professional angler, and, and that's the content that he's putting out there, and it was amazing. Once he started putting out that content, all of a sudden it's just his brand just started to grow and more people are engaging and more people are talking to him, but it's totally okay to continue to support that audience and build that brand. And everyone can still know that you sell
1: cars. That's where you make your living. <laughs> you know, that, that is so true the, the, the story that resonates with me from that, and, and I'm at risk of repeating stories, uh, because I have so few of them. But this one really stands out, and it has to do with that fishing aspect. I was at a Ford dealer here in northern Kentucky, and I'm talking to the GM, great guy. But I'm, I'm observing this gentleman in a cubicle outside of the office, and it, you wouldn't have to guess what he did because his entire, all three walls are covered with pictures of fish that he's caught and trips that he's taken. So here's a perfect, just what you said. It's Northern Kentucky. Um, he's a, a well-known angler, fisherman. Um, he can take all of that relationship that he's got. That's him. That's his heart and build that content because Nissan and Ford and name the brand, the OEM is going to make sure that everybody knows about the brand
0: they're going to know what the price is. I mean, we don't necessarily need to include that into our content
1: for crying out loud. If I'm a fisherman and I know there's a fisherman at the Ford store, if nothing else, I'm going to stop in and see if you can tell me where a honey hole is that I haven't found.
0: Exactly. So there's going to be value in that, right? And we have to understand it. And I tell dealerships this and they do, they look at me a little sideways. They're like, wait a second, you want me to pay money? to advertise content that has to do with phishing. I'm like, yes, sir. I do. (laughs) They have to create an audience.
1: Instant differentiator.
0: hundred percent. hundred percent. I have another young gentleman who just started in the business. And of course uh, he is a fanatic star Wars fan. Like, very much so a Star Wars fan. So he's now, you know, he, he he talks about Star Wars in the back of the Nissan Rogue. And you know, he talks about Star Wars sitting inside a car, you know, and, and he has a large, incredibly large following of people that are following his content. He has a whole generation of kids that are gonna be car buyers. Yeah, and, and well the thing is he he's again very new to the business, he's getting referrals from his star wars
1: fans <laughs> I, that does not surprise me for instance, that's a perfect example look around your store and you may think it, it's weird or i may think it's weird but if there's some uh groupie if there's some person male or female that has something unique about them here's a great example there's a again another store here in cincinnati they're we don't do business with them, but I think they have the best uh, online uh, ad that I've seen maybe ever. And the back story is the woman in the uh, commercial, she happens to have this uh, unique hair color and she's incredible. I would go just to meet her because she's so well presented in public. And on the flip side, there are people who are trolling her because of her hair color. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh dude, if, and again, I haven't researched who any of the trolls are. I haven't gone that far in it, but I'm thinking if I were to learn that anyone who has trolled her is the car dealer. I would unload on that person and just go, man, you should close your dealership today because if that bothers you and you don't think that's relevant, you, there are so many other things that I can tell you about your store and never visit it that they don't know that's wrong with their, their piece. And and my, I didn't start with this core, but I'm a process and people person in the automotive Mm -hmm. industry. We don't control our product. The OEM does. Yep, 100%. You better focus on your process because the reason I say process before people, if you have a bad process, you can hide bad people inside of bad processes. Sure, of course. If you focus on getting your processes right, then the people issues that will prevent you from being as great as you can will be exposed and nobody can hide from them. And that doesn't make those people bad. It just means let's train them better. Let's develop them. Let's let them be them. So that people and process part, um, people, you know, some people think that's a little old fashioned or what have you. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there because that's not old fashioned at all. In fact, actually, it's funny because you say this because I literally had this conversation a couple of weeks ago from a dealership. He wanted to tell me that he had a people problem. And uh, I told him he did. He did not have a people problem. He had a process problem. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. Um, he he expected that these people just knew what these processes were, and I have to tell him you got to stop managing people. You got to manage the process. Let that process manage the people. And I learned that a long time ago from someone way considerably older than myself, aka my father. Um, and, <laughs> and 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 that always res- That always resonated with me. Right? Is that if we spend more time focusing on the processes that we place into our into our uh, the sales department and our service department, and we effectively measure those processes on how well they're doing against the goal and objective that we set, then we can start modifying that process. We don't have to modify the person, right? We modify the process and develop the person.
1: Bingo. Dead on. I, In all of my experience, um, again, back to the horse business and then to the turf business, people would approach me and they would ask for my help in the horse business and they'd say, my horse has a problem. And I learned through lots of trial and error, I'm willing to bet it's not the horse. But (laughs) what I would say to them instead of immediately hurting their feelings was, why don't we take a look? And the only thing I need for you to give me is if we decide that it's not the horse's problem. Are you willing to work on how to get better together?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so then you take that, uh, again, in all my experience, I only had one bad horse and I've literally worked with tens of thousands and had the good fortune to work with people in, the, in that same piece. And, and out of that all, I had one bad horse that um, just wasn't going to come around for the, the intended purpose in in the in the turf industry it's a very process driven part and i 100%. if i can there's two stories I, I don't know what where we are on time or if that matters but i oh,
0: got uh, we got a good 10 20 minutes so go for
1: it. okay so um one of them is about me and in in the uh industry uh, a pretty intelligent guy came up with a unique use for artificial turf at airports, in what they call runway safety areas. Okay. And one of the things you have to do to do anything at an airport is get the FAA to cooperate with you. So there's not just the bureaucracy of the property itself, you got a government thing to deal with. And we were going to a convention, uh, I lived in Springfield, Illinois at the time, but we were going to a convention to, to demo our product in Dallas, Texas. And I had two partners, one really a a highly skilled technical uh, installation engineer and one kind of the face of our organization. And the face had always said to me, you got to wear a suit and tie to to all of our events. Well, we'd been to two of these before and hadn't had much luck. And I said to him, we're going to Dallas, Texas. I'm wearing a sport coat, a starch shirt, cowboy boots and jeans. And if you don't like it, I own a third of the company too, so you can't tell me <laughs> what to do.
0: Well, you knew your audience, right? You, you, you exactly. had to match. You had to match what your audience was. Hundred percent. Nothing wrong with
1: that. Part of it is, at that particular event, we gained the attention of the right individual in the FAA, and what would have taken us literally another year to do, I did in ten minutes in our booth. Wow, that's um, we cool. We got a certificate because of the. One, I was so much more comfortable. Sure. Um, but then, so then you take take me out of the equation, and you look at process. And at the time that I joined the turf industry, the standard was it takes three weeks to build a field. Um, you're going to have problems with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, because of the work that we had done, when you work at an airport. Uh, on the runway it has to be closed and generally you're working at night unless it's a big federal program Mm -hmm. and so we developed processes we could work at night guarantee that we would have the runway open normally they open about 5 a.m you better have everything out for there the fines are per minute and they're not cheap so we developed this process we knew we could guarantee the integrity of our work get everything out of the way and we transferred that pro- those processes to building football fields. And the unique aspect we brought to the market was we could build a field in 14 days and not have a single issue with it post-construction except for regular maintenance. And people said, you can't do that. And so we built 250 projects in, um, I don't know, a little over 10 years and wow. had the reputation of we don't do callbacks unless yeah. somebody, because we didn't have to. We did maintenance calls, et cetera, for our service, but the callbacks, our process was that good.
0: Yeah, and see, and that's and that's where dealerships can really kind of learn from your knowledge and your expertise. Is is there's just I hate to say there's a huge lack of processes for a lot of dealerships that I visit. That, no, don't no, get me wrong, they had great intentions. But, you know, it's like I'll ask them about a delivery process. They go, oh, okay, okay, we got one. I'm like, okay, cool. Where is it? <laughs> I'm waiting around for it. Well, uh, hey, you know, you know, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. We don't know. It. I'm like, mm, okay. You know how you know how the story goes. I go downstairs. There's six different sales, guys. I'm getting six totally different variations of whatever the hell that process is.
1: Yeah, please don't take my, my chuckle as
0: sarcastic. No, it's totally cool.
1: It is that aspect of, well, walk me through it. I'd like yeah. to see it. And the, the idea that if you teach someone something that they retain it, that's not how it works. It's retained by constant training and practice. Um, we don't send the Navy SEAL team in anywhere that hasn't yeah. done the drill. They've, got, they've had uh, topo maps and geographical overlays. And they've had exact dimensions of the building because the satellite from space can pull that and they practice in that. Um, you know, that's a kind of an extreme example, but, but no, the,
0: but no, that that's actually a great example. Cause that is literally to the type of precision that we actually need to bring in to our dealerships. hundred percent.
1: The very first time that my brother walked me through the walk around. So the trade trade evaluation walk around the way that I test myself is course sibling rivalry hey let me let me see if i can do it back to you and you can see what i missed Go. Yeah. and so he gave me a pretty good grade around it granted we're role playing it wasn't like i was learning to sell cars but there's the point it's the it's the fallacy that people use to prevent to have it to uh using the excuse i don't need to change because you don't know how to do what i do um, you know, whether they want to use the uh, people who do or people who can't do teach. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm 62 years old. Show me what you don't think I can do and don't make me learn your job. <laughs> One of us is going to be irrelevant at that point. So kind of off on a tangent there. but No, no, that's totally true, though. That's 100%. It's that, um, and, and the, the key, which you already know, and, and I'm sure that you teach, the shift has to begin at the top. Yep. No one is ever going to follow somebody who's not willing to hold them accountable, offer them the support, um, walk alongside them because another example from, uh, the workforce development days, I'm pretty good at identifying talent. I don't use a script per se if I'm interviewing people, but we would hire, uh, 20 to 30 summer interns usually college guys mm-hmm. and my interview process takes about 10 minutes and I can honestly say that I missed I think twice in the, the two years plus that I that did that specific workforce development job and um, one of the one of the key people in the company we were down to the the wire of getting a couple more people one time and I hesitated on one individual. Normally it's either yes or no. I mean, yeah. I, I either know and, and ask questions. I want them to, I don't want to give them any rope to support themselves on. It's, it's pass, fail. And this particular individual, I hesitated, and I just said, just wait till the background check comes in. You know, if, if it's another day, we're not going to lose anything. Yeah. I saw him a couple days later. um, He he comes up to me, the the employee, not the interviewee, and he says, how did you know? And I'm like, know what? And he said, the dude's background was horrible. There's no way we could hire him. And I said, that's why I said to hesitate. I didn't know, but my gut said, yeah, I couldn't give you a yes, so we better wait and and do our process. If we'd have panicked over the... You gotta have two more guys to fill the slots. I'd have hired him and running through everything, and then I'd have had to let a guy go, which is not a big deal. To me mean, I can fire you just as easy as I can hire you.
0: But it, it costs money, it costs time, you know, and, and and I and I think that's where and I'm glad where this I call these jam sessions, because I'm glad this is kind of where it went, right? Was you know, it, it really shows the value in the dealership taking the time to, you know, develop out those goals and objectives and then create the processes that are going to help them meet those goals and objectives, understanding that the first set of processes that they they create will not be the last set of processes.
1: Bingo. It's only a plan and the plan's going to change.
0: That's right, that's right. I mean, it's a, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? You know, it's like we have to make that commitment to constantly be running and, and, and evolving and developing out what our processes are. But when you do that, you can get to the space, like, you're, like in your story, where you can get things done. 10 minutes, 10 minutes to do that? Or two weeks to be able to put together an entire field like that? The only way you can be that effective at something is with process. And if we take that and embrace that same type of passion and um, educating ourselves and embracing our processes into our, into our dealership. So there's a magical things that can
1: happen. The last part of that magic is, you know, that though having the right processes produces the ability to have accountability.
0: Yes. hundred percent.
1: Without all those other things are useless. And you, unless you have, (coughs) excuse me, unless you have the leadership that will hold people accountable. Because, and, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Because I also think, so speaking on that, on, on the form of leadership, I think that's what a real leader is: is someone that has to take that time to understand, to develop these processes, to maintain these processes, and then make sure that those processes are giving their staff direction. That's what, in my mind, what a
1: true leader is. You're exactly right. That the the critical aspect of that. If there's any hesitation in the accountability, it's the old soft. Give me an inch, I'm going to take a mile. If somebody on the team, e- even in this the particular instance that I'm describing, remember this is an a this is a world class a company. Their clients and their partners around the world are the who's who of uh, entities that need turf, and sometimes the the Asian Games um, really specialized opportunities that you don't get invited to if you can't perform Mm -hmm. and the fact that you perform year in and year out that's a significant indicator of great leadership the the owner of this company his name's joe moats um he's the definition of great culture and it's evident in every aspect of this company the reason that um he brought me in First, I think he was being kind to me. Um, He saw a need to develop. And when I first uh, joined forces with him in 05 as a subcontractor, um, the first time he tried to hire me was when I changed entities three years later. And maybe I should have listened sooner. But the point is the company is a lot of things known for their excellence, um, renowned for their quality, they can get it done. If you've got a tight timeline on a turnaround, they get the shot. And normally, again, it's not a, they They work in no bid situations. So that means, again, they maintain that. The single th- greatest thing that we're known for around the world, and they're, they're like I say, they're a small uh, Cincinnati based company, but they're known around the world for their culture. The people who work with them, there are, there are companies in, uh, Australia who send employees from time to time to work with us just to, to see that part in action.
0: We- well, co- culture is an incredibly strong thing that I think every company needs to go after, but it all comes from a core foundation of process. Yes, If you don't have those processes defined and you're letting those processes give your staff direction and letting those processes continue to develop and get better, the culture is kind of the byproduct of what happens when, you know, the staff and those processes meet, you know, and then that magic happens, right? on. And and it literally, it empowers people now that they understand the process, they understand why they do the process, you know, the the, the reasoning behind it. And each now staff member gets empowered with that so that when they get into a situation where there necessarily, it maybe isn't a written process, they they know what we're trying to achieve as a company.
1: You're so... Again, you get it. I knew that before we got started just from the, the again things that you've shared on LinkedIn and your writings and your videos. That that That's the only way that a company can grow organically. And I hate buzzwords like that. But it's the truth. You know, people use them. They say, oh, we're organic. No, you're not. You're a copycat. <laughs> if you were organic, you'd have your own identity. That's right. Identity. The identity, the culture, the 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 presence that the customer feels. I I referred to Dan Cometh uh, earlier in the conversation. When I walked into Dan's store, I'd never met him, but between the gentleman who said, oh, Dan calls everybody back. I walk into his store. There's this feeling of warmth. Everybody that I met prior to meeting Dan looked me in the eye, greeted me, all of those processes about that culture. development were reflected because his leadership in the store and in my conversations with him although i never met his ownership i'm certain that they're the same they're cut from the same cloth birds of a feather flock together that's a 100%. cliche for a reason
0: well bell i i i think that's great and i think that's a great place for us to stop there and i, I there were some Great value I think what we see here and it's and it's really nice to hear from somebody that uh, has tons of experience and is you know new to the industry You can kind of connect those dots and see where there's a lot of opportunity for us uh, for those people out there that would like to connect with you where's the best place that they get to connect with Bill uh,
1: the easiest place is on LinkedIn uh, if they want if they want to go through that platform or if you want to contact me directly Uh, Either my cell phone, area code 217-306-2555. My email is bill at lottalk.com, L-O-T-T-A-L-K dot com.
0: And and guys, I really encourage you to to reach out to Bill. Bill, Bill's Bill's a real practitioner. And, you know, he does have a lot of passion about helping people and developing leaders and processes. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Bill. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for the kind invitation, and I enjoyed this immensely. Very grateful, Jason.
0: Thanks.